So open your Bibles, if you will, to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. And I know Jason just prayed, but I'm going to pray too. Father, I pray that as we come to study your word, as we come to look into what your scriptures say, there's so much thought and emotion that goes into this day. I, I, I get it. I understand. But how we want to be people who want to understand what your word says and that we accurately grasp the ramifications. And I pray that this is a study that gives us a great impression of the reactions of the very first day and what it was like and then the impact it had long term. I'm asking God that you continue to feed those who are believers in Jesus Christ and this strengthens their faith and those who come on a day like today that this passage would help open their eyes and bring them the faith. Bless now our study in Christ's name. Amen. So Matthew chapter 28 and verse 1. When you come to the end of all four Gospels, and those of you who know the Gospels, you know there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There are four Gospels. All of them end with the resurrection story of Jesus Christ. John's Gospel takes the last two chapters and deals with resurrection appearances. As we come to this study today, I remind you that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the greatest day in human history. It is the greatest day for all of mankind. And as we have been studying, and we'll get back to 1 Corinthians 15, and we invite you all back for next week, we've been looking at the resurrection and its implications of, of Jesus' resurrection for believers, the resurrection kingdom we get to be involved in. And it's an incredible wealth of blessings that the believer gets because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When we talk about the word resurrection, let's be clear. Resurrection means to come back to life after being dead. The concept of the resurrection, for those that believe in, in God, specifically Jesus Christ, is a life-changing message and really is the message of the Bible. Pastor John MacArthur in his commentary on this chapter gives an extremely long quote on how the resurrection runs through the entire bible and i'm not going to read it for those of you who have our have gone to our youtube videos you can listen to it there in that message where i taped this week i'll give the full quote but i just want to give just some excerpts of it macarthur says the message of scripture has always been a message of resurrection hope a message that death is not the end for those who belong to god for the believer, death has never been an end, but rather a doorway that leads to eternity with God. Abraham willingly obeyed God's command to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, because in faith he considered that God is able to raise men even from the dead. That's from Hebrews 11. MacArthur goes on to quote Psalms and, and Isaiah and Daniel and Job and then doesn't even go into all the New Testament passages. When we talk about resurrection, we are talking about a message of hope. And as I alluded to earlier, that is what we want all of you to have. Hope is the expectation that something good will happen when you don't have good. And when we focus on this hope that we're talking about today, it is a hope that I need to 
keep before you that I will not be promising anyone hope that they will get money problems resolved, physical problems resolved, other sometimes even other life problems resolved. The only hope that this is really concentrating on is the fact that you will face death and at the end when you have death come upon you or a loved one that there can be new life new life for you and new life for your 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 beloved family your friends those whom you care for now obviously the christian life talks about many blessings and change life and and things that are turned around and yet those things can happen to those who are believers in jesus christ and the bible talks about resurrection power in the book of philippians that we can see transformations but sometimes those transformations don't come to fruition the way I'd like to see them. And some of you know that we have even seen believers do some very, very bad things. And so I'm not going to promise a perfect life on this side of eternity. But on the next side, absolutely. We know from the passage I read earlier from Isaiah, we know from the book of Revelation, that God will wipe away every tear that we understand from the book of Revelation that there's a coming kingdom that is going to be without sin. It will then be perfect, and Jesus Christ will be ruling and reigning forever. And we all now have access to it when we didn't have access to it. That is unbelievable. Today in our study, we're going to look at three different reactions to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Three different reactions. The first two come on the very day of the resurrection. The third will come later. And what I have today for all of you is a little twist. Some of you have studied the Bible for many years like I have. And as I was going through this study, I thought there's a couple points that I want to bring into this text that I haven't necessarily always heard on a resurrection Sunday morning. So I'll try to point those out to you. But what we're going to do is look through... Matthew 28, we're not going to do a full exposition of it, but I just want to keep and, and point out to you some key points, key reactions. Now, by the expression reaction, I am referring to how this impacted people, how they responded. And then we're going to look in the short term, and then we're going to look in the long term, which is part of the twist. Now, talking about reactions, I thought I'd give you a, a joke, like a chemistry joke, right? And the idea is that, that um, I thought through a chemistry joke, but then I didn't think I'd get a reaction. So, so there you go. All right, there you go. All right. As we start, when we react to an event, we've already had many events already in today. But when you react to a pretty significant event, there's something that happens. It leaves a long-lasting impression, and it changes you. Think about the reactions to certain events that you have had in your life that have been very impactful. Have you ever seen, for example, an auto accident? Have you ever seen somebody crumpled in a car have you ever been in an accident? And if you have, you know those are horrendous experiences. I remember many years ago that we were doing the prayer station, and we were in the parking lot, and we were 
trying to flag people down, you know, let people know that we were praying and having prayer for people who were going through trials and wanted to come in prayer. And all of a sudden, I heard a crash, and I saw to my left a large SUV flying in the air. And I got to be the first person on the scene, and by God's grace, this woman that was in this vehicle lived, but it was a pretty horrendous experience. And for me, it's impacted me in the long term in the sense that I try to drive a little more cautiously sometimes, as my family absolutely loves. They, they call me like a grandpa driving, but that's, that's another story. Um, there, there, there was, there's reactions that I've had that have been to things of nature. I don't know if any of you have ever been to the Grand Canyon. I'll never forget my initial reaction for seeing the Grand Canyon. I stood and stared at the Grand Canyon for two hours. I looked at the ocean the very first time I saw it for at least an hour. It was overwhelming. If you've ever been there and just see the water just coming, the vastness of the canyon, other beautiful nature scenes, how do they impact you? For me, long term, it's left me with an impression of the vast greatness of God. One reaction that I hate to think about is the reaction of being with someone when they die. Many of you haven't been in that experience. It's happened to me. Have you ever been with someone when they die? Have you ever held their hand, seen the last breath, seen the last movement, wait for the next word and it never comes? Many of you have been to funeral homes and you've seen the bodies and caskets That finality, that reaction, it's horrible that I've come to hate death. I can still remember almost seeing the sun on March 18th, 1968. That's how much the initial reaction for my first time experiencing death has impacted me. So the day my grandfather died, he fought in World War I. I can still remember pounding the bed that night, crying because he had died. For others, whether it's been my mother or my brother, who I was actually with when he died, it's, it's horrible. Yes, it's made a long-term reaction for me to hate death. Now, when I talk about all of these reactions, some of these things are interesting in our day and age because... When I talk about certain reactions, maybe you haven't experienced them actually, but you've all seen them on TV or you've seen them in movies. When the car accident occurred, many people said, it was just like a movie. And I thought, and I've been thinking about this, why is this? Because we live in a time and a day and age when so many of these experiences, whether they're accidents or nature or people dying, are played before us on the screen all the time. And so sometimes when you see these things, they are things you've already seen. You've already experienced them. And so we come up with this statement, oh, it was just like on TV, it was just like in the movies. And I don't know if there's a numbing to that. But I just want you to understand, especially when we come to people dying that we love, there's a reality that goes beyond the movies. Now, when we come to Mark chapter 28, 
It is very, very important that we understand that people who love Jesus, who care for Jesus, have watched him on a cross on Friday from 9 a.m. in the morning to 3 p.m. in the afternoon. They have watched an incredibly horrific trial where he was beaten, bloodied, and from the book of Isaiah, we know he didn't even look like a human being. Can you imagine seeing somebody that you love go through that? He dies a little bit after 3 o'clock. They get him in the tomb before sunset one day. Saturday, he's in the tomb all day. Sunday, maybe early in the morning, he rises from the dead. Three days. There's a study, I'm not going to do it here, but the prophecy where Jesus was going to be in the tomb three days, three nights, was an expression. Any part of the day, any part of the night. So Jesus is in that tomb. And he often would say, on the third day, and it is now the third day. Those who hated Jesus are ecstatic, but they are fearful because they have heard that he has said, I'm going to rise from the dead. So much so that they have put a guard on the tomb of a dead person. So we come, and what we're going to do today is we're going to look at reactions, and we're going to look at the very first reaction. If you have your sermon notes, we're going to see the reactions of these women. You can just fill in the blank now. It's going to be fear, joy, and worship. We pick up in verse 1, and it says, Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. Mary Magdalene is improperly taught as a prostitute. There's nowhere in the scripture that she was a prostitute. She could have been, but it's not in the scriptures. This other Mary is, um, oh, where is it? I've got the name. This other Mary is the wife of Clopas. And she has been watching Jesus die. If you jump over to chapter 27, verse 26, the people who were at the bottom of the cross, it says among them were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and, 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 and the mother of the sons of, of Zebedee. And so when we take that with the Gospel of John, we know who these Marys were. There were several women. Who isn't there? For those of you who missed the Good Friday service, it is Mary, the sister of Lazarus. She is the only one who has heard Jesus' proclamation that he, he, would, he was going to die and rise from the dead. She's the one who anointed him. She's not there. These women are distraught. They think it's over. Verse 2, and behold, a severe earthquake had occurred. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. To the best we can tell, the earthquake seems to be the one, the agent that moves the stone. Now, i got to point out, when you take Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, 1 Corinthians 15, you get anywhere like 10 to 11 resurrection appearances. You also get an order of sequence to the best that I can, you know, that that plays out, that you've got to bring all four Gospels together. And I'm not going to do that today. I'm going to try and cite some of them, but... I'm just going to point out, we're just looking through how this story plays out. Verse 3, his appearance was lightning, his clothing was white as snow. I believe at this point, the white is there to let these people know these are not satanic beings. I think this is clearly conveying the Shekinah glory. I think there's a sense of holiness. I think this is what's going to 
go into the fear, the very first reaction. They're scared. Verse 4, the, the guard shook for fear. They're terrified. They see these angels and became like dead men. We don't know exactly how they get out, but they get out. Now, I don't know if you've ever been scared, terrified, um, where you've been like unable to move. There's been situations, I think, where I've come upon and I've been terrified. Um, and especially when you've got angels appearing out of nowhere. I haven't told my family this, but this is a true story. This happened last week, 11 o'clock at night. I'm the one putting the whole house to bed. And I mean, everyone's in, I mean, everyone's in bed. I'm, I'm shutting the lights off. I'm going to bed. I come upstairs and, you know, if all of a sudden somebody appeared in your house when you didn't expect them, what would you do? <clears throat> right? You'd be shocked. Well, my family doesn't know, but at 11 o'clock, I went, ah! <laughs> and it's the first time it's ever happened to me in my entire life. Coming around the corner, I saw someone. My shadow. <laughs> First time it's ever happened to me. I was terrified. And then I had a really good laugh. I couldn't imagine being at a grave and all of a sudden a body, a, a person appeared. That's what's happened to these people. And then let it to be glowing like that. The angel says to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. Now, let me just put the stories together. They're terrified. They're, they're, they, are, they are scared to death. But when we put the entire story together, guess what? Mary Magdalene doesn't hear that. Mary Magdalene has run away. He is not here, for he has risen, just as, just as he said. Come and see the place where he is lying. For those of you who like your Greek studies, it is in an era of aorist passive. He has been raised. Somebody else has raised him. God the Father, we learn from the other scriptures, is the one that raised Jesus. Go quickly. Tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And behold, he's going ahead of you in the Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. Well, you know that's going to play out over the next 40 days as we read in the book of Acts. And verse 8, and they left the tomb quickly with fear and then great joy. And there's that word, that elation, that incredible sense of, of being overwhelmed. They have watched Jesus die, and now they're hearing that he's alive. I have often thought, what would it be like to see the people that I love alive, that are dead? What's it going to be like? And I've shared this before, and I'm not trying to ever denigrate Jesus. I love Jesus, and we should have a love for Jesus and what he did for the cross. But I can tell you how much I love my father, how much, how much I love my mother, my brothers. And my brother is past. My grandparents are, are, are past. I can still remember the joy of being with them in the 60s. I, 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 just, I just think there's going to be this incredible shaking this incredible, overwhelming sense of joy that I'll have seen them. And I don't care if I'm going to be in a glorified body. It's going to overwhelm me. I can't imagine what these women were going through. They saw this empty tomb. They saw him die. They are now hearing that he's alive. And so we pick up in verse 9 and... Well, verse 8, and they left the tomb quickly with fear, great joy, and ran to report to his disciples. And on the running away, Jesus appears to them. Behold, 
Jesus met them and greeted them, and they, they came up and took hold of his feet, and they worshipped him. There's that third response, worship. They worship. They, they, there's a sense of giving him honor and recognizing now, as everything is coming together, that he is to be elevated. And like so many in the scriptures, they fall at his feet. It's a picture of great humility. And I would hope that I would want to do that too. That if I saw that, it would just be like, oh my goodness, you're alive. You are who you are. You are the, the God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. So he's trying to calm them down, which obviously must be needed. I think be very hard. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and they will see me. It's going to be a wild day. Jesus is going to meet the two on the road to Emmaus. Do you know that somewhere in this day, he sees Peter? One of the gospels right now, I can't tell you which one tells us that, but we never know when that occurs. That night, we know from... The Gospel of John, he'll appear to all of the disciples except for Thomas, and then a week later, come and see Thomas. But at this point, let's just focus on the women. Their response is incredible, this fear, joy, and worship. And maybe I should have just said, they, they, it, we initially see belief, because that's what happens. They believe, and these responses come out of, out of their trust in him. And now we're going to go into a, the next group in a second, but they don't believe. And I thought, here's an interesting twist, because I've often heard the story of the resurrection, and it's been, you know, given to me about how these people responded. But here is the twist that I want to give you. What makes these people different? Why do they have joy when we're going to see the next group doesn't? The next group doesn't believe when you study the Gospels and believing that those are true accounts, when Jesus talks about matters of the heart and matters of sin and matters of, of righteousness, these women believed it. When Jesus walked on water, fed the 5,000, brought sight to the blind, gave healing to all matters of sicknesses, gave leprosy cleanness, these women believed it. All of that went together. And today, where I would leave you is I'd say to you, I can tell you about an open tomb if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, but it may not do anything for you. You might see us all excited as Christians and wonder, you know, wow, that's really nice. They're happy. There was an empty tomb. I don't know if that's true. But what I need to tell you and you need to understand is Jesus talked about the only way to get into heaven is, 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 is unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees. That's from the Sermon on the Mount. And the only way that you can have that righteousness is to have his. And, and I think as the, Jesus taught to these women and, and, they, and they heard his speaking and they knew that he was providing a path for them. And he said early on, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me. They believed it. And maybe they were clueless about the, the, the resurrection, but they had already had that root of belief. And I would tell you that you need to have that too. 
And for us who do, then we can understand. For us as believers, this recognition of this day is really something we recognize every day, but we love the historical accuracy of this, that we go back to this one day when they came and the tomb was empty, and that concept of fear I get, that concept of joy, it just overwhelms me. Sometimes we sing these songs and there's tears coming from my eyes, and I'm sure there are tears coming from yours, because you recognize the ramifications of this, and it was real. And you really understand what Jesus did on that cross. Because when you understand your own sin, you're a jerk. You are so undeserving of him dying. And yet he did do that. And he did it for you, if you believe. And and, and so I tell you that you need to recognize how much you need Jesus. And you worship him too. Now, here's the interesting twist on this part. Another twist in this is, I've often studied this passage, but have you ever thought about what happened to the women? We've got these women that we're talking about. Whatever happened to them? Sadly, I can't tell you the rest of the Bible gives us a lot of information. The book of Acts has some women on the first day when they're praying to pick up the new disciple, that's in Acts chapter 1. There's a Mary who's mentioned in the book of Romans in chapter 16, but we don't know if it's any of these Marys. But we do have early church writings. And the early church writings talk about some of these women, and especially Mary Magdalene, that she lived a life of faithfulness. She didn't marry the resurrected Jesus, which is a lie. She lived a life of belief and died at Ephesus faithful. You see, belief in God, belief in Jesus is not a one-time act, it's a lifetime act. And when you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, it impacts the way you live. And so I think that's something I want to remember. Their reaction in the short term was, wow, this is great. But long term, I can have people react short term, get them crying. There's a pastor in our area who told me one time, I can make people cry every Sunday. And he was saying it seriously. Great. Long term, where are those people? Long term, are you going to wake up on Monday tomorrow and put the practices of Jesus Christ into motion with your life, your family? These women, from the best we can tell, did just that. Pick up the next group. Verse 11, now while they were on their way, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all that had happened. And now we get these, this group, these guard, the chief priest. And what we're going to see, these are enemies of Jesus. And we're going to see basically through rejection, you can fill in the blank, lies and unbelief. Lies and unbelief. Now, who is this guard? Earlier in the 27th chapter, we see that Pilate says, hey, you Jewish leaders who hate Jesus, basically, he says, you have a guard. And I believe the guard is put under their authority. There's question as to whether the guard was a Roman guard or whether it is a Jewish temple guard. I think, because we even have early church writings that indicate it was a Roman guard. So we pick up in verse 11. They're on their way. The guard comes to the chief, to, into the city, and that's why they go to the chief priest to report there. And when they assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers. 
and said, you are to say, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this should come to the governor's ears, we will win him over. We will win him over and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money and did just as they had been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. We're going to talk about that story in a second. But I want you to understand first and foremost, why in the world would they do this? Why would the guard do this? They've seen, the best we can tell is they've seen an angel. We don't have any account that they've ever seen the resurrected Christ. But I'm sure they ran in the tomb, saw the tomb empty, and, and they knew that they were guarding it. Roman soldiers supposedly had this directive that if you ever fell asleep on duty, you would be killed. And so it's highly unlikely that they really actually fell asleep. And I'm not going to get into all the ways to answer how the chief priest were able to convince Pilate. There's many ways they could have lied. They could have said, you know, we told them they could sleep or something along those lines. But bottom line is, we know that these Roman soldiers were people who didn't believe. And you got to remember, Jesus is doing miracles like the Gospel of John says that are, there's so many that it would fill up books. The, the, the whole world couldn't contain them. You've got to understand, these guards have heard it. We know the, the priests have heard it. What's going on? Well, we've learned earlier that people love their sin more than they love God. It's not that there's evidence. It's not that there was proof. Jesus has come along and he's taught in a way that's incredible. It's turned people around where they, whoa. We, we've already studied passages in the past where, you know, Jesus is being, trying to be put into a corner with the, with the Jewish leadership. And he answers them left and right and shows them up every time. Where sometimes you've got to sit there and say, wait a second, maybe I should listen to this guy. Let alone the fact that he's given sight to the blind, made the lame walk, and he's brought people back from the dead. But again, for sake of time, I'm going to tell you, you've got to read this on your own. John chapter 12, it really gets to the heart of the matter when Caiaphas, the high priest, says, basically, after Jesus has raised someone from the dead, he, they, he says, we've got to basically kill this guy because if, if he continues on, we're going to lose our position. And when you see this rejection, you say, wow, why did they do that? It's because they don't want God in their life. And, and, and they want to love their sin. They want to be in control. And they want to be able to get away with what they want. And it's foolish, people. It absolutely goes across against reality. Jesus is alive. But just like Lazarus was from the dead, could you imagine we raise somebody from the dead? Jesus raises somebody from the dead, and his enemies say, oh my, we got to kill Jesus? But that's exactly what they said. And now they've done it. They've done it. If you ever think that you can analyze sin... Oh, I want to look at what this little one went through or this child went through or this person went through and I'm going to be able to figure it out. You cannot analyze sin because sin is illogical. Why would somebody see a risen Christ and say, 
I'm not going to believe. Why would someone go into an empty tomb and say, I'm not going to believe? Why would somebody see Jesus raise people from the dead and not believe? It's because they love their sin. It's illogical, though. Logic tells us that Jesus did all these things. Truth tells us that Jesus did all these things. And the scriptures declare to us that God did all these things. And the Bible talks about those who are blessed, who believe and have not yet seen. And that would be you. These people come up with this lie. And I'm not going to go into all the detail, but basically I have a a quote from one pastor that said, in the first place, if their story had been true, the Jewish leaders could surely have found the stolen body with little difficulty. They had the resources of hundreds of men, including military men. So if the body would have been found, the bottom line is, I mean, if the body would have been stolen, it would have been found, people. They would have scoured the land. All they're going to do is put the body of Jesus up. Christianity's over. The the flaw of this idea is is that, that this lie is that these disciples of Jesus who were terrified the day before all of a sudden got enough courage to overpower an elite Roman guard, get past them, hide this body, and all of a sudden be able to pull off one of the greatest lies ever. Again, there's many ways we can dissect the lie. But you've got to understand, it makes no logical sense. But what about in the long run? And this is what we all need to understand. This led to a life of ruin for the enemies of Jesus. Because we know for all who don't believe, they end in a place called hell. Second, we know, according to the Gospel of Luke in chapter 21, that which the Jewish leadership thought they were holding on to gets taken away when the Romans, with, the, with Titus, their general Titus in 70 AD, destroys Rome. And, I mean, excuse me, destroys Israel. And as all the Jews are scattered, as, I, as, as Luke 21 says, they were never regathered until 1948, which I believe is the fulfillment of the prophecy of end times, and which, which should make anybody who's an unbeliever understand the shortness of time. Now, I don't know if you're going to have five years, ten years, but the reality of it is that since Israel was made a nation in 1948, they had not been gathered Because these people, these enemies of Jesus, and you can look it on again for yourself in Luke 21, were told that not one stone would be left unturned from the temple. I have stood at that base of the temple. I've been in Israel. And that I can tell you that prophecy came true. And I can tell you those stones are incredible. But when Titus, the general, burned the the temple up, the Jewish temple up, the gold melted through the through the stones he had his soldiers go to he had his soldiers go turn every stone over to get all of that gold and you know what they did with that gold they went and they built the roman Colosseum. every time you see the roman Colosseum, you should be reminded of the fact that that prophecy of jesus came true and israel lost everything and so my exhortation to everyone here is you reject jesus you think you're getting away with something? It may not happen today. It may not happen tomorrow, but it will happen. And just like everyone will die, it will happen. Let's look at the last group. Whoops, 
they both went up. From the disciples, we're going to see obedience, worship, and doubt that led to an incredible life of service. As we pick up days later, we see in verse 16, but the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and, and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's called the Great Commission. What I just wanted to point out is here he's got these disciples. It's emphasized in the 11 here in this text, but when they talk about doubt, there's the question is, are we just talking now about the 11? But because I've told you, Jesus has appeared numerous times to the disciples. He's appeared to Peter. He's appeared to the group in John chapter 20 once and twice with Thomas being in the second group. The thought is, is when we see in that line that there is doubt, that the thought is, is that that could be some of the people who are of the 500 that 1 Corinthians 15 mentions. So I, I put that up there. But obedience, because they go. Worship, because that's exactly what they do. They go and they worship. Look at verse 17. They worshiped him. Some were doubtful. I'm sure they're trying to piece it all together. And I'm sure God was, has been gracious to them. But why do we get the response that we get from these guys? What's going on with them? Well, the reality is, remember, they didn't just believe for the first time when they see the resurrected Jesus Christ. They've, they've believed. They haven't had it all pieced together. They didn't understand all the ramifications of, of, of the death and burial and resurrection, and God had to open up their eyes. But my goodness, you go back to the book of Matthew, Peter and, and early on, and, and, and Peter and James and John, well, they all leave their businesses to go because they have seen Jesus doing the miracles. Those are, hap those are events that Jesus didn't just walk on the scene. This is where it's great to have a harmony of the Gospels when you put all the pieces together. That, that, that event where those guys leave their business could probably be one year into when Jesus has started his ministry. There's some time that has gone by. And so I want you to always remember, these, they, they had facts. They had seen Jesus. They had seen him do miracles. They had seen him teach. And so they went and they followed him. And they were committed to him. And these responses are out of lives of belief. One of the greatest truths out of the long-term impact is the is the idea of who would die for a lie. We know out of the 11 disciples, 10 of them will die as martyrs. I have this book up here. We always try to give this out. If anyone is wondering about Christianity, there was a man named Josh McDowell. He wrote a book called More Than a Carpenter. Anyone knows the story of this book is the fact that he wrote it because he was trying to convince a girl to to date him. He wanted to date, when he was a non-Christian, he wanted to date this girl. And she said, no, I'm a believer. And I will only date believers. And so he went on this path of trying to prove that Christianity was wrong. But at the end of his three-year story, and he talks about it in this book and in his other lengthier book called Evidence Demands a Verdict, that what he said was that he came and fell on his knees and because the evidence is overwhelming. Jesus Christ and the facts around him are not in a vacuum. 
they're tied to truth. They're tied to reality. And one of the greatest chapters, I think it's the seventh chapter in this book, is who would die for a lie? The disciples who were terrified, scared to death, all scattered when the Roman soldiers came, now turned and became people who were martyred for their faith. It would have been 11 and 11, but we understand they couldn't kill John. And it was also that God would send them to the island of Patmos so he would write revelation for us. So long term, Jesus has these disciples that I think had to die in martyrdom because it had to show to all these people this wasn't something they faked. They didn't fake Jesus' death, steal his body, or any of those other lies. And so would you die for a lie? And the answer, I would think, would be no. So how have you reacted to this story? Like I said, we're not going to do a full exposition. How have you reacted to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, short-term and long-term? Many of you have heard this ever since you were a kid. And you try to think, how am I going to live this out long-term? Well, day by day, bit by bit, hopefully you're living faithfully. And that's the same for us as adults. But we must be people in this day and age as we see the world rushing towards its end to more and more get this truth out. That the tomb is empty. Jesus Christ is alive. The end is coming. As we watch more and more insanity in this world, we have to be more and more convinced that what we're seeing is more and more evidence that evil is no longer being restrained. And I believe we're going towards that end. So today, your reaction is you either believe in the resurrection or you don't. You can hear about an empty tomb, but ultimately, if you don't believe it, you don't believe in it because you haven't trusted the words of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus. And like the Jewish Pharisees and Sadducees, you love your sin. But I warn you because everything that you're holding on to, you're going to lose. He who keeps his life loses it for life, for, for life eternal. But he who loses it loses it to God, keeps it for life eternal. I'm going to give you one more quote from John MacArthur. He says this. He says, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the single greatest event in the history of the world. It is so foundational to Christianity that no one who denies it can be a true Christian. Without resurrection, there is no Christian faith, no salvation, and no hope. If there is no resurrection of the dead, Paul explains, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith is also is in vain. 1 Corinthians 15. A person who believes in a Christ who has not been raised believes in a powerless Christ, a dead Christ. If Christ did not rise from the dead, then there is no redemption that was accomplished at the cross, and your faith is worthless. As Paul goes on to say, you are still in your sins. So how are you reacting? Are you in awe? Because I think part of that fear is a sense of awe when you recognize the tomb is empty. Has it driven you to a life of service, seeing and hearing of a risen Christ Because I want you to be there and to be reunited with your loved ones, to experience the joy. I think we're going to experience joy seeing Jesus. I think we're going to experience joy seeing our beloved loved ones. But some of them aren't going to be there, and I think that's part of the tears that are going to be wiped away. We know from the Bible the future reaction of everyone who doesn't believe. The Bible says it's going to be a time of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I would not want that reaction for any of you.
The only way to avoid judgment is to react to the resurrection of Jesus Christ by believing in it and believing in him. Belief is not agreeing that this event occurred, but trusting in it. Like you jump out of a plane with a parachute. You trust in that parachute. There's supposed to be an act, an ascent where you're trusting in Jesus. Today, I leave you with the reality that if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, I want to make it really simple. I saw this on the internet from a pastor in Hawaii, and I've been using it in a few videos, and I use it again today. Just like we teach kids the ABCs of language when we're introducing them to speaking and writing, I'm going to give you just the ABCs of the gospel. ABC. A, admit you're a sinner. Recognize that all have fallen short of the glory of God. The way you think, the way you speak, the way you act, and your sins of omission have made you guilty before God. And the penalty for sin, one sin, one sin is death that leads to the second death, which is called eternal damnation. You have to recognize your need. A. B. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe he was God and man who came to earth and he died on that cross and paid the penalty for sin and rose again. C. Call upon his name. Whoever calls upon his name will not be disappointed. That's my hope for all of you. Just ABC. For you who are believers and you've called upon the name of the Lord, may today just be a, ratif- a, a re-emphasizing of a life of service is not in vain and is a worthy response to the empty tomb. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you sent Jesus And I pray, God, that as we contemplate the empty tomb, we contemplate the reality of what Jesus did on that cross when he didn't have to go there. And he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. That now we never have to let death reign over us. We never have to let the death of loved ones think, make us think this is the end. The last breath, the last movement will not necessarily be the last. Because if they've had faith in Christ, we'll be reunited. And I pray, God, that that is the truth that we all believe in. My hope always is, God, knowing and not knowing who's here, is that someone paid enough attention that they thought through the offer of Jesus Christ and the clear reality of the miracles and the words and all that he said that I cited enough was enough to start pinging in them a reality that Jesus really is who he claimed to be, God come in the flesh. And his claims that we're not righteous are true as well. And therefore, Belief in him is necessary if you need and want to defeat death. So today as we come and we sing this last song and we're rejoicing over the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I pray, God, that if somebody has never believed, that they'll follow those simple ABCs and today will be the first day of great joy for them. In Christ's name, amen.